Author Tricia Patterson once said, I'm convinced that desperation is a gift from God. Well, as true as that may be, of course, no one likes feeling desperate, right? Uh, experiencing times of desperation, whether it's through your circumstances or maybe through relationships or even just in how you feel about something. I think for most of us, uh, desperation is not really a desirable place to be. And yet, uh, if there were never times of desperation in our lives, well, there would never be any real change in our lives. Because you see, it's, it's the greatest times of desperation that produce the greatest potential for change, right? When, when people, I think, all the time, we want all kinds of things to be different in our lives. But I think generally speaking, we want them to be different without having to change anything about ourselves. And the problem with that is, your life isn't going to change until you are willing to change, right? But again, I think most of us are, are probably not willing to change most of the time, at least, not until, uh, at least not until we become desperate for something to change. Because when everything is going your way, of course, there's no reason to change anything. It's when things are not going your way to the point of desperation that we become open, willing to change. And that's also, by the way, when your prayers become most effective. When you pray out of your own desperation because now God has something he can work with. Someone who's so desperate they're willing to actually change. It's also why of all the prayers you could ever pray in your entire life, one of the most powerful, effective prayers of them all. It's also one of the simplest. In fact, you can pray this prayer in three simple words. It's Lord, change me. That's it. Lord, change me. By the way, that one simple prayer is one that he's sure to answer every single time. And so for that reason, look, don't, uh, don't pray it if you don't mean it. Don't pray it if you don't mean it because that prayer is almost never answered when everything is going your way. Because again, when it's going your way, there's no... There's usually no motivation for us to change, which is why the most significant and lasting changes that happen in our lives typically happen during the hardest times of our lives when we pray desperate prayers, which has been true for human beings throughout human history, as we'll see in our story today as we continue working through another one of David's songs, Psalm 4. This psalm is generally classified, by the way, as an evening prayer and interestingly, the themes, the, the concepts expressed throughout Psalm 4 actually reflect the concepts expressed in the preceding prayer, Psalm 3. And because of that, there are a lot of scholars and theologians who believe that these two psalms were meant to go together as a morning and evening prayer related to the same event. So in Psalm 3, for instance, David says that he laid down and slept, meaning the night before, while in Psalm 4, he says that he will lie down in peace and sleep. In Psalm 3, David is filled with confidence in the presence of many people who were challenging his faith at the time, while in Psalm 4, he has that same confidence when the people around him are becoming disheartened. And again, whereas Psalm 3 was a prayer in the morning, uh, Psalm 4, as we'll see, is an evening prayer. In fact, it, it, it may well have been that these two psalms were actually written on the same day, one in the morning and one in the evening, although we can't say that for certain. But if that is the case, well, then Absalom's revolt 
which gave rise to Psalm 3, could very well be the background here in Psalm 4, which, we, uh, which would explain certainly David's sense of desperation throughout the prayer, right, of, uh, of all the people in the Bible. If there was ever a person who was justified in feeling desperation in his circumstances and his relationships, certainly King David would have to rank somewhere right at the top of that list, right? Because not only was he relentlessly hunted and hated by the Philistines and the Amalekites and his own king, his own father-in-law, his own people at one point, even his own army. If you were here when we went through 1 Samuel, all of that was just in that one story in 1 Samuel. When you get to 2 Samuel, you find that David was hated by and at times hunted by his own family members, which is what Psalm 3 is all about, as David is being hunted by Absalom, his son, who had amassed a huge army of Israelites to seek out and kill David so that Absalom could take the throne. And so to date, this was the darkest hour of David's life, and as a result... Well, he prayed some profoundly desperate prayers. And yet if you read through the Psalms, as desperate as David's prayers often were, listen, they were never hopeless. This is really important that we get this, okay? Desperation in our prayers is not the same as hopelessness in our prayers. David was often desperate when he prayed, but he was never hopeless. In fact, do you know that God actually wants you to pray desperate prayers? Not hopeless prayers, but he wants you to pray desperate prayers. And in 597 BC, the Israelites were taken into exile by Nebuchadnezzar. And as a result, the people of God were desperate for a change. And so in Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, you will seek me and find me. When? When you seek me with all your heart. God wanted them to seek him out of their desperation. Why? That they may be changed, inclined toward God instead of being constantly inclined toward themselves. Likewise, the prophet Isaiah spoke with great sorrow about the lack of desperation for God in Israel. He says, there's no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. Isaiah 64, 7. God wants his people to desperately seek him when in reality, I believe most of us spend far more time trying to satisfy ourselves. Yet you realize the vast majority of our problems today, well, they come from us doing what we want to do. Right? I mean, most of our problems, if we're being honest, are a result of living the way we want to instead of the way God tells us to. So just because you have the freedom or opportunity to do something you want to do. It doesn't mean you should do it. And so listen, if, if your heart, if my heart immediately inclines toward what we want instead of what God wants, well then our hearts need to change. Yet we rarely ever change until we become desperate for change. And so God often allows us to come to the end of ourselves in order that we would recognize our great need for him. And that's why we can and should often pray desperate prayers. Listen, desperate prayers that are also filled with hope. By the way, filled with joy and even filled with peace, as we're going to see, because desperate prayers are powerful prayers that God answers in powerful ways. So let's read this prayer together, Psalm 4, and see if we can discover the power of praying desperate prayers. We'll start with the first three verses, Psalm 4. 
one through three. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Now, if this prayer is in reference to Absalom's rebellion, which again, we can't say for sure one way or the other, but if it is, it would certainly put David's prayer here in in a context that he was already well familiar with based on his previous uh, experiences. Because earlier in his life, the king turned against David, the king he'd been serving since he was a young man, who also, again, was his father-in-law. He turns against David. His own wife turns against David. Most of his own people turn against David. In fact, his own tribe at one point turns against David, and he's living as a fugitive on the run, hiding out in caves in the wilderness like an animal, while everything he's ever known and loved has been taken taken away from him for crimes against the king he never even committed. David experienced some of the highest highs and the lowest lows, but he overcame all of that as the Lord delivered David time and time again and blessed him as he prospered and rose to power as king through his relationship with God. God delivered and blessed him only to have his own son Absalom seek to overthrow his rule while attempting to take his own father's life. It really puts David's prayer into context. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. In other words, hey God, I need you again. You've done this for me before. You've delivered me from my enemies before. You've provided for me when I could not provide for myself. Well, I need you to do it again. Are you listening? You can hear the desperation in David's prayer, can't you? The word distress, tsar in the Hebrew means oppressor. It also means a tight place. David says, I'm in a tight spot here, God. My enemies have me hemmed in, and these are important, well-connected, powerful men. In fact, although the the English translation has David referring to them as O men, in verse 2, the actual Hebrew word that David uses, bane, it literally means a son. Make no mistake about it. This is no ordinary evening prayer before bedtime, no rote religious ritual. I mean, the Israelites were famous for that, right, for how they standardized prayer. They even created at one point a daily uh, series of set prayers based on the Shema, a passage of scripture from Deuteronomy 6.4, where they would bind small packets of scripture verses called Teflon between their eyes and on their arms, according to their interpretation of Deuteronomy 6, 8, and 11, 18. But what David was doing here was clearly not that. This was not some memorized pre-bedtime ritual prayer. No, this was David pouring out his heart to God with a sense of profound desperation. In fact, he is as desperate as you can get for God to intervene in his life and circumstances. And yet, despite all of the desperation, there's far more to this story, to this prayer. Because not only does David express great desperation in the prayer, he also expresses a tremendous amount of hope in the midst of his desperation. 
when he says, you've given me relief, when I was in distress, that has often been translated based on the Septuagint, the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's been translated often as the Lord has shown me his marvelous love. And then when David says, oh, God of my righteousness, it's tzedek in the Hebrew. He's referring to God having already rendered his pronouncement in David's favor. In other words, David has tremendous confidence, hope here, that God will not only provide for him, but that in fact he already has provided for him based on his great love for David and his past experiences where God worked on David's behalf as David pressed in close to the Father. He emphasizes it again in verse 3 when he says, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Hebrew word for godly that David uses here, kasid, it means steadfast love. And in the Psalms, David always uses that specifically as a reference to those who've laid hold of God's steadfast love. So in other words, God, I desperately need you to intervene in my life. My circumstances, they couldn't be any more dire. And yet I know that you've already provided for my every need because of your great love for me and for all those who have taken hold of that love in their own lives. And this is why David is able to end this first desperate cry for help with the Lord hears when I call to him. You see, this incredible prayer by David is simultaneously one of the most desperate and yet most hope-filled prayers ever uttered, which is exactly what God wants. Okay, he wants you to pray desperate prayers that are full of hope. Hope that God will answer those prayers because he's already proven he will based on your own experience and his great love for you. So look, no matter how desperate your circumstances may be, if God is involved, there is always hope. You understand, no matter how bad it gets, if God is involved, there's always hope. Listen, hope is a profoundly powerful thing to possess. In fact, there's really nothing else like it because as Christians, our hope isn't in this world. It isn't in our circumstances. No, our hope is in Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him is an eternal hope. And so our hope transcends this world and the temporary afflictions that come with it. In fact, our hope has overcome death itself, which means the hope that we have in him is a hope that is greater than every obstacle before us, every battle we are fighting, and every challenge we're facing. And I'll tell you something else about hope. If you'll let it, it will change you. When you come to a point of desperation in your life, the point where you're willing to change, and then you combine that desperation with a great hope in the midst of your desperation. I'm telling you, there's no greater catalyst for change in your life. Because hope creates capacity inside of you for all the things that you need in order to be able to keep fighting for all the things that you should. See, when you have no hope, you don't have the capacity to grow in faith and patience and strength and wisdom and resolve because you close yourself off to all of that. But when you're full of hope, well, then you open yourself up to growing in all those areas. That's what hope does inside of us. It increases our capacity to be able to grow in all the ways that we need to when the challenges of life come. So listen, because I know some of you are facing some real battles in your lives today, right? And we can pray for a direction. We can pray for strength and wisdom and resolve to see our way through those battles. And surely we will. But look, if you've already given up hope, 
well then praying for those other things you need isn't going to get you very far. If you don't embrace the hope that is available to you in Christ first, you'll never find the faith that you need to keep fighting. If you don't allow hope to build up in you, you won't be able to build your spiritual strength or wisdom because giving up hope shrinks your capacity for spiritual growth. You'll never have the determination that you need to see your way through life's biggest challenges if you've already surrendered your hope and yet when you're full of hope, you open yourself up to a world of possibilities and then your capacity to grow in all those areas that you need to grow in increases exponentially. I'm telling you, hope can be such a powerful force in your life that it will change the entire trajectory of your life if you will allow it to. The fact is, we could learn a lot from this prayer of David because when your life is a mess, when your circumstances seem hopeless, when you're at your wit's end, but at the same time, when your life is hidden in Christ, listen, you don't have to try and figure out the solution first. You don't have to try and understand the problem better first, and you certainly don't have to clean up your act first. No, you just throw yourself down at the feet of Christ and cry out to him with great desperation and yet with great hope. Jesus, help me. I need you again. It's exactly what David did. He didn't try to figure it all out first. He didn't come up with a solution to his circumstances, and he he was far from faultless in this whole mess. The fact is, David's neglect of his son Absalom for years probably contributed to the mess he was in. But he simply cried out to God in great desperation and yet with great hope, believing that God was already providing for him for his every need, which was rooted in his past experiences, specifically his time spent with God who as a result had already come through for David time and again. Now listen, Jesus said to us, come to me, all. Not some of you, not a few of you, not the ones I just like the best. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, all of you who are desperate, come to me and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight, and yet, as clear as Jesus was about that, I think this is a real problem for a lot of people today, including Christians, and the reason why so many people struggle with coming directly to Jesus when their circumstances seem hopeless. I mean, if we're being honest, it's because often we helped create those circumstances. And then... We, so mired down we become in our own feelings of guilt and shame we think there's no point in coming to Jesus because we're getting what we deserve listen to me (laughs) deserves got nothing to do with it if we got what we deserve none of us would be here well what about my guilt what about my shame what about my part in these hopeless circumstances listen to you Do you think any of that is more than Jesus can handle? Right? When you're in Christ, the only way for you to lose hope is by letting go of it. Because there's no power on this earth or in hell below that can take it from you. The only thing that can ever cause you to lose all hope is you. There's no power powerful enough to rob you of the hope you have in Christ and there's no circumstance in this life that can ever overwhelm the hope that is available to you in Christ. 
Okay, when you are in him, when you're in Christ, when you're a Christian, your hope is not based on what your circumstances are or what the world says about you. No, your hope is based on who Jesus is and what he says about you. And so for the believer, hopelessness is actually nothing more than a false perception of reality. Believing your situation is hopeless is to believe a lie because no matter what is happening in your life, no matter your circumstance, no matter what the world says about your circumstance, and no matter the outcome of your circumstance, your reality is the fact that you are never without hope because you are never without Christ. Yet a lot of Christians get stuck. They they stop moving forward with their lives because they have more faith in what their circumstances can do to them than they have in what Christ wants to do through them in the midst of those desperate circumstances. Well, listen, do you know that every great thing that God ever did in someone's life in the Bible came out of desperate circumstances and the experience of them walking with God through those experiences? through those circumstances. The fact is, all greatness is forged in the fires of desperation. 